Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the XFi Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Hey guys, this is Josh Nelson with Sox Machine with a new episode of the Sox Machine podcast coming your way for the 2021 season. As you have known, over the eight seasons we've been podcasting about the Chicago White Sox, we frequently have guests. And for this season, when we record with our guests, which are usually Fridays and Saturdays, in the past we waited into Monday to release those episodes, but not anymore. When we record them, we're going to post them right away. So you're going to be getting more podcasts coming your way on Fridays and Saturdays for the 2021 season. And we kick off our interview series with this episode. And that guest for this weekend's Sox Machine podcast joining us is Connor McKnight, the host of the Chicago White Sox pre- and post-game show on ESPN 1000 and the Chicago White Sox radio network and also the host of White Sox Weekly, which you can listen to on the weekends, Saturdays at 9 a.m. And Connor, thanks for joining us again on the Sox Machine podcast. Absolutely. Love the work you guys do. Glad you've moved to the video phase of <laughs> online living. I Let's see. Is it a, it's Burley, and then that's Baby Grogu. Baby Yoda. Is it a Funko? Is it a first order stormtrooper or a regular storm stormtrooper? Just a that's the uh, White Sox stormtrooper bobblehead. Sure, sure, sure. I had that one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The background's a lot better than when we first did this, and it was just a uh, a bed behind me. I'm I'm trying to approve. You guys moved recently, right? Yeah, we did. We moved to Bridgeport. So now I go to the roof and I got guaranteed rate field in my uh, my sight line. So very good. Very good. You get a chance. Bridgeport coffee, which I'm sure you know of, oh. but head over. That place is amazing. Speaking of amazing, the atmosphere. I had recap duties. I didn't go to the home opener. I watched on TV, but you could feel a different sense of energy through the television broadcast. And for you to be there and broadcasting there, what was the home opener like? Uh, 
I mean, it really was electric. Um, you know, a little bit behind the scenes, we've been broadcasting from Guaranteed Rate Field for every road game. Len and DJ are calling games off the monitors until broadcast crews are allowed to travel per COVID restrictions from MLB. Um, so we've been in the ballpark, uh, you know, all last week and a half. And it's been a lot of fun. It's been cool to, like, you know, kind of have that have that vibe, have that kind of, like, team vibe for our broadcast. But you should know that, like, the duties of a, a pre- and post-game host, as soon as it starts raining at all, are like, oh, God, what are we doing with Rain Delay Theater? How are we going to make this work? Yeah. We set our plans together, you know, so much for, like, okay, we we're going to cover this extra half hour on the flagship, and then we've got the pre-game show, and I had Lance Lynn on the pre-game and all that kind of stuff, and then it starts raining, and you start to think, okay, so there's <laughs> these two hours that I have to do now. And it was great. I mean, it, it worked out fine. It wasn't that long of a rain delay, but – all that to say the atmosphere for me was it really kind of snuck up on me a bit hmm. and we really wanted to make sure that on the broadcast we carried the the field mic of uh, the national anthem and then Jose Abreu getting his MVP award. So as we were getting ready to you know go down to the field and take that sound, uh, guaranteed great field and you know, shockingly the White Sox did something super classy on the board and they did kind of an in memoriam of all of the notable baseball names that we've lost over the last year or so. And, you know, the, the final second, to, the penultimate picture they put up was Hank Aaron. Um, and then Ed's photo came up and yeah. I quite frankly, I didn't see that coming. I had the pleasure of working with Ed for two years. And while looking at that, while talking about him a little bit, it really hit me, you know, what this last year has been without baseball, what it's been, what baseball has been without fans. Um, what this year has been like for me. And I, I just tried to make sure that, uh, that everybody understood what was going on in the field was so much more than baseball. And I think I know Len and DJ get that. Mm-hmm. And then to have that first inning where, you know, there's two out and the team's coming back from a rough road trip and you go, Oh God, here it is. The three hitter up again, nobody on and two men out. And then a brave laces that double and Mancata sits on that slider and your mean Mercedes beats the hell out of that thing, 485. Like, it it got electric really fast. It was an amazing day. It truly was. Yeah, we'll talk about your Mercedes here in a moment. Uh, are you used to introducing White Sox fans to Len Casper on broadcast? It's still taking adjustment for me. It's I know it's been eight games, and I've always thought Len Casper is one of the best broadcasters in the game of baseball. I'm still adjusting to it, Connor. Uh, have you adjusted introducing Len Casper to White Sox radio broadcasts? I have. I have. Uh, and like I said, we, you know, we've been at Guaranteed Rate Field, so it helps that when I say we'll head over to the play-by-play team of Len Casper and Darren Jackson that I'm actually looking at him. You know, <laughs> like it's, not, it's, not, it's not this nebulous thing in some other city. It's like, that is Len Casper. I should yeah. say his name now. So that's actually been great. But to hear him, I mean – I, I know Len wouldn't want me to, you know, toot his horn or anything like that, but the guy's, the guy's going to win a Ford C. Frick, right? I mean, he's, yeah. he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. Um, he is an incredible broadcaster. He has also brought so much in terms of creativity and forward thinking and just uh, a sense of imagination to our radio broadcasts. You know, people think, oh, he just, you know, a play-by-play guy just shows up and calls games. That is not how Len Casper works, and it has been so much fun to work with him and DJ and kind of, you know, help them create this thing that they're looking to do. 
Yeah, when he gets his Hall of Fame nod, it's going to be one of the most modest speeches that's ever been given at Cooperstown. But yeah, yeah I, I agree with you. He's he's definitely going to get there. When talking about the White Sox win on their home opener, six to nothing against the Kansas City Royals, your Mercedes home run gets to highlight. But I think the biggest story, Connor, coming out of that home opener for the White Sox is how well Lance Lynn pitched. And he just pitched like a man on a mission, 111 pitch Complete game shutout. It's the first time ever in Major League history that a starting pitcher threw a complete game shutout, striking out more than 10 hitters, walking none in a home opener. So for all the fans, and including you, Connor, you got to see a piece of Major League history yesterday. And typically when season starts, we know starting pitchers don't go deep into games. and You have to rely a little bit more on your bullpen. But for a White Sox bullpen that got really tired, some guys have been used in multiple innings. They knew that they had the day off on Friday, but getting a second day off with the way that Lynn pitched is absolutely huge. What? How would you look at as far as Lance Lynn's first start with the, uh, the White Sox in front of the home fans? And uh, I think this could be a taste of more to come this season. Yeah, it's, it's it was really fun to watch him pitch. I mean, they truly, when you look back at that game, you know, while while you're watching it, you're going, oh, man, he's, he's pitching really well. And then all of a sudden, in the eighth, there's a couple of knocks. And it's like, uh, okay, is he going to come in? You know, is, is Hoyer going to throw that ninth? That kind of thing. Looking back at it, you know, I just kind of watched the MLB condensed game last night when I got home after a little while. They they didn't have a chance. I mean, there, there was nobody – nobody's coming close. I mean, a couple of the hard-hit balls were like, oh, okay, well, that's really not going anywhere. Every fly ball out – save one, right, the one that brought Eaton back to the track a little bit, wasn't going anywhere. Um, the guy was effective. He was leading up to that eighth inning. I mean, I'm sure you were tracking it, Josh. He, he was on pace for a Maddox or, you know, was. Was within range of a Maddox. I think he is a tone setter for this pitching staff in a way that Dallas Keuchel was a little bit last year. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that, you know, Lance Lynn is the kind of guy – that's necessarily going to call a come to Jesus meeting, you know, like mm-hmm. Keifel did. But I do think that he expects things of a rotation. I talked a little bit on the pregame show yesterday and he, he mentioned as much, like I, I'm setting the tone now, here we go, you know, not necessarily follow me, but this is what we can do. And I think, I think in the first week, um, it seemed to me like Tony wanted to be quick with his starters and they didn't pitch great. You know what I mean? So those two things combined were like, oh, he's not throwing well. And I want to get him out early. I got to stick to this plan. I know our bullpen's a strength. Here's where we're at. And honestly, I think, you know, that strategy starting out the season maybe leads to the point where he's leaving Matt Foster in by his own admission way too long and not going to another reliever because you have chosen to get these starters out early, which means somebody kind of has to wear it. And that guy happened to be Matt Foster that second time around, right? That was his second, yeah, his second time yeah. pitching in Seattle in the sixth the other day. So yeah, I think that's kind of how those things, you know, work together. And unfortunately the White Sox in the first seven games um, didn't get a little bit of luck when it comes to that strategy to start a season. And with Lynn, I'm glad you mentioned as far as, especially with him setting the tone, that cutter or slider, I, it's kind of hard to differentiate on what it is because even, you know, scouting college pitchers right now, they're like Kumar Rocker. To me, that's a slider, but everybody else is calling it a cutter. Watching Lynn, if he establishes that cutter or slider early, like he did against Kansas City, Connor, 
Man, I don't know how teams hit him. I, I don't know because he could also reach back and still hit 96 on that four-seamer, and everything is tunneling together. And, man, I think this is why White Sox fans get excited after the trade of Lance Lynn because if you can make it into the postseason and you got Giolito going game one and you got Lynn going game two, you got to feel really confident about your chances going deep into the postseason. Obviously, they got to get there. But that was my big takeaway is that, man, I know everyone talks about Lance Lynn's fastball, and they should, but that cutter or slider, Connor, I think that's a very dangerous weapon that Lynn has. I agree with you. Um, that pitch, you know, whether it's the cut slider or, you know, whatever, you know, that, that kind of thing is, the one that's got people guessing as to what it is exactly is a big pitch right now. You know, it's, it's, it's like Hansel, it's so hot right now. And I, I think it's being worked into a lot of guys' repertoires. I also think, and this isn't, you know, this is, you know, me just trying to give everybody who listens to the Sox machine a little something, and we'll talk about it some on White Sox Weekly on Saturday. He's he's committed to making that curveball into something. Hmm. I don't know that it, he ever wants to well, – I don't know in 21 that he wants to make it into, like, an out pitch or something like that. But he's dedicated to to having that as something he can flip toward hitters. Now, I – you know, with the with the pomp of that and, and overall opening, opening day and everything like that, I, I think maybe maybe one, maybe two curveballs yesterday. I don't know if you remember, Josh. I'm, I don't have the pitch data. It, it was low. It was like eight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't it, – there weren't too many of them. Um, but I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, he wants to keep that as, like, a 8% pitch on Baseball Savant or something like that just so when other teams open it, they go, oh, there's that thing that he's got. Yeah, I'm trying to picture the tunnel because if you can throw the cutter and if you can tunnel the curve, it it would be it would be a pitch that just looks like it's dropping off the table when you're a hitter, especially if you're a righty. If you can throw that curve to the outside corner. I think so. And I think I think for him, it's it's and I don't know this. I'm guessing this. I think you're right about the tunneling, but I think it's even more so or or additionally about the change in velocity as much as tunnel that thing off. You know what I mean? Like. I don't know that he wants to necessarily put that in the exact same tunnel and turn that into like, you know, Kershaw's curveball or anything like that. But just right. that change of velocity gives him a, enough options on the next pitch in a given at bat. Well, Lance Lynn was awesome. You're a Mercedes, man. I, I don't know how to describe it. We've been doing this a long time, Connor. I remember Trace Thompson's cup of coffee getting everyone excited. He got me excited. Uh, Daniel Polka's rookie year, as far as that second half, got everyone excited. And then, of course, the ultimate first impression, Jose Abreu's first month with the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Ten home runs, winning, you know, player of the month, rookie of the month, and, you know, on his way to, in a terrific 2014 season, rookie of the year, and then getting MVP votes and becoming the Jose Abreu we, we love dearly today. Yerma Mercedes is on a different level right now. And I know it's April 9th, but I feel like your Mercedes is the leading contender to win American League Player of the Month, Connor. And we've been asking this question. I know everyone's been asking this question since Aloy Jimenez got hurt. Who is going to step up and fill in the offensive void? I think it's your Mercedes, Connor. Yeah, so far it is. And it sounds like Tony LaRusso's strategy is to just let him be that guy until he's not. And you ride that hot hand. You know, everybody knows that in this game, you know, that second time through the through the central is coming for you, right? I mean, those extra scouting reports, that extra video, all that stuff, it's coming for him. 
Your mean knows that, though. You know what I mean? Like, it's this is a fact of the baseball we play. Um, that doesn't mean he can't adjust. That doesn't mean he can't see uh, what's coming. I think what's beautiful and what, you know, DJ has talked about a lot is that your mean will spread out with two strikes, that he has different swings, that he understands how to work some things much better than his uh, track record or just, you know, looking at a guy who mashed in the Pecos League would would imply, right? Um it would be great if he played a defensive position other than catcher. It doesn't seem that he does, and that's okay. But if you hit the way he's been hitting, hell, if you hit, you know, 70% of the way he's been hitting, you live with that, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's weird because the consequence, I mean, you guys have talked about it. The consequences of that are, okay, what are the trickle-down effects? And unfortunately, a lot of those fall onto the potential playing time of Andrew Vaughn. Mm-hmm. So... That's a difficult problem to solve, but if the stated goal of winning baseball games is the stated goal of 2021, then you live with that. You know, you, you take that. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you mentioned as far as DJ, because Darren Jackson, listening to him over the years, both radio and television, he's been pining for hitters to have a different two-strike stance, have a different type of approach. It hasn't been common in today's game. It's the same swing, whether it's 0 or down 0-2. Every hitter's got one swing, it seems like. But Yerman has a completely different swing mechanism when it comes to two strikes. And that's why I am trying to buy all the stocks that I possibly can for Yerman Mercedes, Connor. Because, yeah, he's not going to hit 560 for the season. He's not going to hit 400 for the season. I think but those are I safe th- bets. Yeah, I think those are safe bets. Yeah. Do I think he'd hit 310? Yes, because I really enjoy his two-strike approach. And even though he's got no stride, this is a big dude. He still has a lot of power, uh, even though he doesn't have the leg kick. Instead of hitting 485 feet, he may only hit it 405 feet, but he still has that type of power uh, with his two-strike approach. Are you buying this type of swing mechanism from Mercedes? And we know that regression is going to come along, but if you can be you know, the fortune teller looking to the crystal ball, what kind of hitter do you think your Mercedes can be in 2021 for the White Sox? You know, I, I like that he's versatile. I, I think you're right there. I think, um, you know, having watched Tim Anderson as long as we all have, watching him discover the multiple swings that he can put on a baseball has been the thing where everybody, everybody around the White Sox goes, yeah, but he can't do that with the BABIP and he won't do it again. And everybody watching closely is like, but are you seeing how he's putting those balls into play? Like, yeah, there's regression coming for Tim Anderson the same way it it comes for everybody who holds a, you know, 380 BABIP or whatever. Right. But that doesn't mean that the fall off is back to a league average balls in play average. It just means that he has a mechanism that keeps him higher above water than some other players. White Sox fans have watched Nelson Cruz for a really long time. He puts exactly one swing on a baseball, maybe one and a quarter, because every now and again, he'll go get that high and outside fastball and ride it out to the opposite way, right? Yep. And, and that's like slightly different than his initial swing. And it, it is a rare rare hitter that can do that obviously for as long as Cruz has. I I like that Mercedes is versatile. Um, I, I like that he is understanding of where he's been so that he understands where he is now kind of thing. I, I don't know how long it lasts. I, I, don't, I don't know if anybody does, but you know, the longer it does, the better off the White Sox are going to be 
mostly from an injury front, right? Because the hamstrings have come for the White Sox as well. And your mean Mercedes yeah. hitting like this has held off the fact that, you know, Nick Williams had to play yesterday and that wasn't drawn up for the home opener, right? <laughs> no, no. I got some great reactions on Twitter asking White Sox fans, if I asked you in November, how would you feel if Nick Williams and Danny Mendick were in the starting lineup for the home opener? Uh, yeah, a lot of people would have been confused. We're like, what, what happened to Tim Anderson and Lo Jimenez? Did they collide in the outfield? Uh, no, but hopefully the White Sox get Tim Anderson soon. And, uh, you know, speaking as far as Danny Mendick, he had a very good opening day. He went three for three with a walk and he held his own at the shortstop position. And, you know, just beside your Mercedes, I know it's only eight games and it's a small sample size, but Con, is there anyone that's impressed you so far from the Chicago White Sox after the first eight games? Hitter or pitcher, or does it matter? Doesn't matter. Anyone. Yeah. Honestly, Nick Madrigal at the plate has impressed me some. Hmm. I understand that defensively, you know, you can't look at the ball like it's a Rubik's Cube in your glove every time you get it. Uh, I think some of that will go away for Nick. He's walked three times this year in 28 plate appearances. That's on pace for triple the walk rate. Triple the walk rate he was on pace for last season. One of those walks was a completely non-competitive, you know, at bat against a pitcher who couldn't find the strike zone uh, with a, with a map. But the other two weren't. Yeah, I just, I, that, that's impressive to me. It looks a little bit like a different Nick Madrigal in terms of his approach to the plate. Once he swings and puts the ball in play, I think we all know where it's going and we know where it's not going. Um, so that's understandable. But that's been impressive to me. Your mean Mercedes is incredibly impressive to me. I, I don't think we get points for subtlety on this segment, right? I mean, it's, it's really <laughs> good. Uh, Adam Eaton has been, you know, okay. Mm-hmm. I think, I think though, the way Luis Robert has worked some really key walks has been a a big check mark because um, those are some grown up walks. Those are some grown man walks that he's had to take in front of big hitters. And I, I'm not a huge believer in like lineup protection yeah. as a, as a function of a team. Um, I may be in the minority there when it comes to baseball people and, and even Tony and that kind of thing. Uh, but the fact that he's walking uh, in big spots, sometimes with two outs in front of Jose Abreu, that's meaningful, right? I mean, that's plated runs for the White Sox so far. I'm with you with the lineup protection, especially with Luis Robert, because unfortunately for Robert, every single pitcher in this league knows what happens if you throw a center cut fastball to him. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, they're going to be cute and they're going to try to get him to swing at these sliders outside the strike zone. And in eight games, he's walked four times, which a lot of people would say that's not a big number. It's a big number for Luis Robert, and he's currently on pace to walk 80 times in 2021. I don't think he's going to walk 80 times, but Connor, a Luis Robert that walks 50 times in a season on top of everything that he does when he when he makes contact, I think you could justify having him bat second especially in front of Jose Abreu and Yohan Mikata. And if Tim Anderson returns, I mean, the amount of speed that's at the top of the lineup is stupid crazy. But if he's going to take his walks, uh, he's been on base eight straight games. He's been on base every single game this season. Uh, he's going to make it tough for Tony La Russa to drop him in the order. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I think it's worth noting, and I, I know you and Jim have talked about this a little bit, but the the rate of, or not the rate, what would it be? The 
the meaningfulness of improvement on the margins, right? Like when a team is projected for 88 wins or something like that, but they can bump it up to 89, 91 with a player or something, that matters more because each and every win is the one that gets you closer to a playoff spot, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. a 78 win team and you can, oh, we can sign this guy and we go up to 82, it's like, oh, okay, great, we went to 82. I think it's kind of the same principle for a guy who walks like 15 times a season, like Robert, you know, might've been projected to. If you get that into the thirties, the 35 or 40, that is a, I mean, that's a huge improvement. That's so many more chances to get driven in. And that's so many more chances to, you know, earn your next at bat against the starter maybe, or, you know, stay in that, you know, that's, that's a big deal. The speed matters. Um, I don't, I wouldn't be too surprised if the White Sox are just a little bit gun shy and taking stolen bases or anything like that because of the hamstring injuries that they've had. Uh, you <laughs> Don't know. blame them. Well, seriously, I mean, if, if depth <laughs> is an issue, then and yeah. you got to play a little bit more conservatively. I, you know, the White Sox can't afford Luis Robert going out. Period. End of story. Um, but now, without Billy Hamilton there, you you, you really can't afford it because you can't cover it defensively either. Right. So all, all that to say, a Luis Robert that walks. 25, 30 times is is not a different ball player altogether, but that's a huge improvement. It makes him a lot more dangerous. So let's talk about concerns after eight games. Again, very small sample size. Rick Hahn has even mentioned it when he spoke with reporters on the home opener that it's great that we ha- we can overreact uh, to small sample sizes of the first seven games of the season with the White Sox finishing that road trip uh, three and four. One of the concerns I have is, man, the defense is not sharp. And it has been, it ha- it has been pretty disappointing. Uh, and it has been hard to watch. Do you have any other concerns in the White Sox defense after eight games, Connor? Uh, any, any other than the defense? Yeah. Or, Anything yeah. other than the defense? Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been, it's, well, Matt Foster's not quite had it, you know, and yeah. if that's a function of him just, you know, he's Tony's like, okay, it's it's got to be Foster here to kind of wear it a little bit. It's his game to win or lose. And then he leads him in longer while he's not pitching well. Maybe that looks even worse than he really did. Um, I think that's unfortunate. Uh, Dallas Keuchel's not looked like he's gotten all his pitches working right now. I, I think you trust that guy to get there and at least shape himself into a dude that, you know, represents in that rotation. I'm not – altogether worried about that but yeah it's like okay third time through time to put it together tony mentioned it too with the off day you know we're talking friday obviously mm-hmm. uh right is it friday we're off it today. is friday <laughs> it's okay it's friday great we're off today i don't have to go to work that's fantastic uh but with the off day you know everybody gets an extra day in the rotation you know maybe that helps a little bit um you know cure some stiffness it was cold in seattle that kind of thing i get it other than that i you know i guess it's just I don't know if this counts as a concern, but I wish all of the White Sox catchers weren't hitting just as well as they are. Because now Tony's got like, okay, I have three catchers that I have to work into this lineup, and I don't have a left fielder due to a couple of injuries. And also, I can't run this Andrew Vaughn kid out there and left every day because the risk involved in that is massive, even though he looks he looks pretty okay and left. You know, I, I don't mm-hmm. He looks okay. He looks okay. Yeah. He looks like he could get to maybe 
you know, slightly below average as a left fielder, which, as you know, is is fine. That'll that's mm-hmm. absolutely fine in left. Yeah, he's not embarrassing himself. No, uh, and even the play he missed going into the corner is like even even decent left fielders who take a bad jump miss that play. Right. He he's not even there yet in terms of his experience in left to know he made the bad jump. Right. That's just a read and react play. He doesn't have the reps. How could you possibly expect he got? If he makes a good jump on that, everybody's looking at him going, well, that was a lucky jump. Good for him. You know what I mean? It's not It's not like this thing you can expect of him at this point. Are you concerned about the way that Tony La Russa is playing Andrew Vaughn? Because on White Sox Twitter, this is a pretty popular topic. If you're not going to play Andrew Vaughn every single day, you might as well send him to Schaumburg. I don't necessarily agree with that thinking because I don't know how he's going to get better in Schaumburg by playing every day. But I think that there is an opportunity for him to learn the major league life, to prepare. I mean, when you're preparing beside Jose Abreu, that is a learning experience. And he is going to get playing time. He is going to get at bats. And, you know, once the injuries subside and once Mercedes stops hitting 560, I'm sure Andrew Vaughn is going to get more plate appearances. So I'm not too concerned. But are you concerned about Andrew Vaughn's playing time to start the season, Connor? Well, there's there's two things. I First of all, I think it is a completely fair baseball question, right? I mean, sometimes, you know, people call the show or whatever, and I'm just harebrained, you know, White Sox ideas or whatever. It's like, no, this is not an argument. This is not something that we need to talk about right now. This is, this is fair. I, I completely understand. And I think the conversation would be even more different if it was, should Andrew Vaughn be doing what he's doing now or playing in AAA? Mm, yeah. The, the reality is the alternative is the alternate site. And like you said, Josh, that is not playing AAA baseball. That's not playing every day. It's not the same. And if you don't take my word for it, go back through all of the interviews with any of the GMs throughout baseball last season. They all said the same thing, right? I'm, I'm taking it from them. I think that if you were in this situation right now and maybe you had one fewer injury in the outfield, I, I think a lot of people would be saying, well, he's, he might have to go to AAA and just swing. He just may have to be so that he's ready for the White Sox to come back when they've got the spot for him. I do think that given the circumstance now, I I would not want to run him out there in left field every day. Hmm. I think confidence comes into play there. I think injury comes into play there. You know, if you don't have an outfielder that really knows what he's doing, there is risk. Um, And it's great to have Luis Robert out there to cover left center and anything that's hit to Vaughn's left if he is there. But there are other places the ball can go, and there's a wall on the other side of him too, right? I mean, these are these are real concerns. I'm fine with this for now. I think it's an acceptable way to do it. Um, I think if you know Vaughn a little bit, and I've only you know talked to him on Zooms and whatnot, but he really seems to understand not just the plan for him, but the way Tony kind of talks him through that plan. Um, that works. You know, that can be helpful. Uh, but if we're having this conversation again, you know, if we're in that same situation where your mean Mercedes is still tanking 485 into the concourse off a hot dog stand, then when once AAA starts, then I think it's a decent enough conversation to have again. Andrew Vaughn is going to be a big time player, um, but he needs at bats to do it. So it's a it's a worthy concern, um, if nothing else. It is absolutely something Sox fans and I'm, I know the front office has on their radar. Yeah, that's, you make a great point. In three weeks, when we are having this conversation of Andrew Vaughn is struggling at the plate, 
uh, and he's not hitting as well as we thought that he would be. And your Mercedes again is still going crazy. I, and then I'm with you. Then I don't think there's anything wrong optioning Andrew Vaughn to Charlotte where he can play every single day and he can face triple A pitching for the first time and right. he can get more reps in left field. Left field in Charlotte is a an adventure. Uh, it is not a wide area, a wide space. Uh, if it's hit over your head, it's probably going over the wall, uh, the way how small that ballpark plays, but it's a good experience for him. Uh, cause when do they play in Boston? That's been our biggest concern is, oh man, Fenway is going to be a trouble spot for gets someone the, who's never played left field before. Gets the Nikki Del Monaco treatment out there. And- <laughs> poor Nikki. <laughs> he didn't have a prayer. What a poor, <laughs> I mean, prayer. I like Nikki a lot. He was a blast to talk to, but he didn't have a chance out there. I mean, that was just so unfair to run him out there and left in Boston. I know. I know, but yeah, I'm, I'm looking at the calendar. It's not for a while, but again, then I'm fine well, with it. But if he can get back on pace, though, offensively, and if he is one of the better hitters, I say continue to have him stay on the 26-man roster because, again, you're trying to fill the offensive void that Aloy Jimenez's injury has left. Yeah, and, and right now, too, like, listen, the stated goal of the 21 White Sox is to win a division and then win a playoff series and then win another playoff series and then win another playoff series, right? I mean, that's that's the goal. Um, given the injuries you have, you need bats. Name for me the dudes in the alternate site or you know on the AAA roster or whatever you want that are going to go slide in and give you a better at bat than Andrew Vaughn is right now. That list right. is short. Uh, and unfortunately for Vaughn's development at this point, because of the makeup of this roster, he's that next best guy. Um, thank, I mean, truly, thank God he's got the makeup to understand that that's where his, that's what his job description is right now. There are other, you know, top prospects who would be, would not be quite as amenable to this plan as Andrew Vaughn has been so far. And that's also a really good point. Top prospects, sometimes they get a big ego. They see their names in all the top prospect lists. They know that they're destined for great things. Now you're trying to play me out of position. I don't know about that. Right. But Andrew Vaughn's been quite the team player for the White Sox, and they're asking so much from him. They really uh, are. To start 2021. All right. So the White Sox are coming into this weekend. They have two more games against the Kansas City Royals. Hopefully the rain subsides on Saturday and they can get that game in because it is Mike Miner on the mound for the Kansas City Royals, Connor. And this has been a really early storyline to follow in baseball. The Chicago White Sox dominance against left-handed starters. Uh, They won the 17th game in a row against left-handed starters against Seattle. Do you think they can make it 18 in a row, which would tie the Major League record with the 2004-2005 Atlanta Braves? Josh, let's get real. If I had you on White Sox Weekly and asked you to predict the outcome of a single ball game, you would slap me in the mouth. That's what you would do. I would tell you, yeah, I think they can because this is an insane run. Like, I can't think of a reason why they don't hit Mike Miner well. No, I can't either. I mean, what? Yeah, see, he's a lefty. He throws. He throws with the wrong hand. Good luck. <laughs> I, Mike, Mike Miner, what if Mike Miner walks out there and is like, oh, I'm right-handed now. I brought somebody else's glove, and now I throw right-handed. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's his better shot. I Listen, look at look at the track records. Look at the B-refs. Go look at the splits. They, they mash lefties. They yeah. mash lefties. Um, it looks like Vaughn's going to get a day there. Uh, I would imagine that's in left field. Um, yeah, I, 
they'll if they lose against the left-hander, it'll be because somebody has a bad day out of the bullpen and the Sox little lead slip away. And I, I think they're done doing that. You know what I mean? I, well, hmm. they're done doing that the way we've watched them do that in the first seven. Let's say that. Okay. Yeah, it, it is amazing on just how much better this lineup is against lefties. And it does raise the question of, okay, let's flip it. Why are they not better against right-handed starters? And I think part of that is they don't have a reliable left-handed only bat. I mean, their left-handed only bats are switch hitters. I think Yoel Mercado is a better left-handed hitter than right-handed hitter. But when it comes to Yasmani Grandal, I think Grandal is a much better right-handed hitter than left-handed hitter, uh, especially in the power department. Uh, And then you got Adam Eaton uh, as your other left-handed hitter. So you got Eaton and you got Mancata in your lineup against the right-handed starter. And you're already starting to hear the drumbeat from, you know, social media channels that the White Sox need to get another left-handed hitter. Uh, How do you feel about that? I I know it's only the first eight games, but a lot of this is also continuing from the 2020 season. Do you Mm -hmm. think the White Sox need another left-handed bat? Yeah, they do. Um, But I don't know many contenders that don't. You know what I mean? True. Like, just would you like another left-handed bat with power, Rickon? Yes, yes, I would. Thank you. I would take the other yes. twenty-nine GMs. Yes, <laughs> give me the left-handed with power. I want that guy. Thank you very much. Um, yeah. But I, I do think though that like we have to remember injury concerns with all this too, right? They, they are missing guy, and I'm not even. Let's take Aloy and put him in a different box of injury concerns for the White Sox because that's a long-term thing. They have to build a roster without him for a while now. Yeah, I think another reason that, that the right-handers are, are doing what they've been doing to the White Sox over the last couple of years is, you know, I think you make great points about Mancata and Grandal and in this season, Eaton. But remember how, you know, we just talked about Luis Robert and his, you know, strikeout-walk approach, that kind of thing. Right-handers hurt him more because of where he is in his development curve, because of what that slider looks like to him, you know, low and away. That hurts even more, marginally speaking, than it does on other teams' lineups because of what you need out of Luis Robert from both where you're hitting him and how often he's going to get to the plate, right? Um, yeah, another left-handed hitter would be terrific. Nobody's dealing that t- right now. Um, there aren't free agents out there that I want. I, you know, if you wanted to go out to a Josh Reddick showcase or something like that, all right. You know, I'd make that trip and go take a look or whatever. But right. you know. I'm not coming back with any souvenirs or a t-shirt or anything like that. Um, <laughs> I, they, they are where they, you know what I mean? This is, this is it. This is a good club. That's got to deal with some stuff right now. And it's, it's going to have to come from the guys that are there. I, I think that's just what it is. And um, to, at that point now it's, you know, for me, it's not, Oh, who needs to hit more and who needs to change their approach some, and you know, who needs to step up in the lineup they got to pitch and play defense. I mean, that's what this is right now. They got to pitch, they got to strike guys out, they got to play defense. That's how you're going to make up the difference between the injuries on the offensive side. It's got to come from run prevention. Yeah, because Cleveland comes next week, and that team loves to play 3 2 type of ball games. That offense is not good, but man, that pitching staff is. And the White Sox have to learn how to play those types of games next week. And I, I feel for this team, that's not in their comfort zone. They, 
they like to they like to put up a lot of runs on you. They like the blowouts, the one run games. It's been tricky for this team. So, but it is something that they're going to have to learn. I, th- uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. And I think too. I think what helps you learn to win those games is to use Liam Hendricks and have him go strike out four or five guys, yeah. or have Aaron Bummer go throw a bunch of ground balls. I almost swore there, or like. Uh, you know, have Cody Hoyer go be Cody Hoyer and, and get strikeouts. That's the way you learn how to play those ball games without really stressing out, you know, the rest of that defense or, or even, you know, like asking a, a big hit to come up in a situation. Go strike dudes out. That's how you do it. Yeah, because the White Sox are 4-0 and when they score five or more runs. They're 0-4 when they don't. You're not going to be able to score five runs every game. So they're, I think they're I think they're zero and four with like six errors when they don't. Too. <laughs> yeah, that's that's like, another ah, problem. Pick it up, throw it over. <laughs> yeah, unearned runs too. So, well, that will do it for this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. You can follow Connor on Twitter. I highly recommend it. He's at C One McKnight. Again, listen to White Sox Weekly on ESPN One Thousand and the ESPN app. Nine AMs on Saturday, and of course, he is the pregame and postgame host for the Chicago White Sox radio network. Connor, it is always, always an absolute pleasure chatting with you. And thank you so much for coming back on the Sox Machine podcast. Always enjoy it. You guys do fantastic work. Sox fans are blessed that they have you. I I will add, uh, if I may, Josh, White Sox Weekly is now two hours leading up to the pregame show every Saturday. So it's not always at 9 a.m. Like this Saturday, it's, you know, we're 1030 to 1230. And then when we go to night games on Saturdays, all that kind of stuff, it is the two hours leading all the way up to the pregame show. And if you like, you can download, this is the shameless plug part of this podcast, I assume, right? Yeah, this is the time. (laughs) Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, The ESPN Chicago app is a, is a great little app. Uh, You just download it on your phone and then you go down to the baseball page and all of the, um, the baseball link there on the, in the app uh, and all the White Sox weeklies and the interviews that we do. And a lot of in-game content is there in the app. It all just works. It's fantastic. Do you guys have any planned guests for this weekend show? Josh, it's an off day. Okay. I, I, didn't <laughs> no, no, no. I, just, I thought I would ask. Yes, so. we have planned guests. Of course we have planned guests for White Sox Weekly. <laughs> A flagship for God's sake, Josh. <laughs> oh, man. Well, again. Listen to White Sox Weekly and listen to Connor on the pregame and postgame show. And Connor, thank you so much for stopping by. You guys are great. Tell Jim I said hi. Thanks for watching this video on the youtube.com slash Machine channel. And please subscribe to our channel as we'll continue to create new video content for the channel. You could also follow us on Twitter. We are at Machine. And if video doesn't do it for you, you could always subscribe to the podcast to get the audio version of the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy our work and want more from us at SoxMachine.com, think about supporting us on Patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content every single week. In addition, they get first crack at any new Socks Machine swag, like our Socks Machine t-shirts and our Socks Machine hoodies. We have monthly plans starting at $2.00. and $10 a month, which you get more as you pay more a month. So again, if you enjoy your work at SoxMachine.com, sign up at Patreon.com slash SoxMachine. Thanks for watching this episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson. When you rely on the internet for everything... 
You need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on Internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.